Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show. With your host... West Lane County Commissioner, Jay And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And it's another beautiful day here in the Northwest. Clear blue skies. About 90 degrees with 30% humidity. Think about that if you're listening from the East Coast right now. Um, that's where I was born and raised. And, I, and talking with my family, it was 100 degrees with 90% humidity yesterday. And that's not fun. <laughs> Glad I'm living in the Northwest. So we got lots to talk about on the Bose Nose Show today, and, and it's a free-for-all day, which means you get to control the topic if you want to. You just have to give me a call at 646-721-9887. Just press 1 so Robin knows that you want to get in on the conversation, and uh, she'll put you through to me. And uh, you can also send me an email anytime, not just during the show, at talk at krbnradio.net, you know, suggest a topic, suggest a guest, have a question for me. Uh, I do respond to emails. I respond to Facebook messages. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of and get an answer from. If you ever have a question about Lane County or just something that I was talking about on the air here. And speaking about things to talk about, I just have to get to the, the whole uh you know, conventions and the national politics for a little bit before I jump into some state politics, and then we'll get really local and kind of work our way down in scale here. But this whole thing with the email coming out through WikiLeaks, uh, you know, and and all the stuff that the DNC did to, to poor old Bernie in the background, uh, you know, we all knew it was happening. We just didn't have proof of it. Uh, and that definitely gave us the proof. But the interesting email that I thought is probably more fascinating and more damning than anything else was the the emails that included spreadsheets with various federal appoint appointed positions and trying to assign various donors um, jobs that they asked for. You know, it basically it was you know pay to play and get an appointment. And if I remember correctly, that's one of the things that uh, Rod Blagovich, former governor of Illinois, went to jail for. So I'm wondering, is anybody from the Democrat National Committee going to go to jail for influence peddling? Because that's basically what they were doing there and selling those positions and assignments. I mean, I think there was an email that basically was going out to the fundraisers, you know, the, the, what they call bundlers, uh, saying, you know, please let us know which positions your donors want, you know, because they're filling up fast <laughs> on sale now. Come by before we're all out. Um, you know, definitely, uh, you know, corruption at, at a massive level in the DNC. You know, we kind of knew, you know, with Hillary and Bill speaking for 20 minutes for a quarter to a half million dollars, uh, to you know, fund the, the, the Clinton Family Foundation uh, was definitely a backdoor into um, having folks give money to the Clintons for influence, particularly when she was Secretary of State when Bill was collecting some of those and, and he was speaking in foreign countries. Uh, just, you know, screams of corruption. Uh, and I'm hoping one day we will get to the bottom of all this. And I'm hoping that, you know, 
one day maybe we'll have um, an attorney general that's not a, a uh, party operative. We'll go back to the old days where uh, presidents appointed as attorney generals who were uh, above and beyond reproach, and they weren't necessarily a, a party operative. Um, you know, that was the whole point. You know, that's like the top cop in the U.S. is the, the U.S. attorney general. So we'll see, because definitely Loretta Lynch is not that person, you know, refusing to uh, bring charges or basically, you know, meeting with Bill Clinton on an airplane. And the next thing you know, the FBI director announces that he's not recommending any uh, prosecution of the classified emails that were on the Clinton's server in their basement. Uh, It's just, uh, you know goes on and on and on and on and on. Influence peddling, uh, you know, pay for play, uh, you know, emails on private servers, lack of prosecution. You know, where does, where does the corruption end there? And it just, you wonder why people were so disenchanted that they're willing to support somebody that one isn't even a Democrat really, you know, because he's an in, he's a registered independent. At least that's the way he he got elected to the Senate, and an avowed socialist as the nominee for the Democrat Party for president. And he damn near won if they hadn't rigged the damn election with superdelegates and backdoor work between uh, the media, the DNC, and the Clinton campaign. Um, it's because people know that was going on. They couldn't prove it, but they knew it in their hearts, and they're so disenchanted they're willing to support Bernie Sanders because at least you feel like Bernie is honest. <laughs> you know, um, just amazing at the national level. So you know, you can always call me, and we can talk about national politics. You know, we can talk about you know, was it a PR stunt to slip some plagiarism into? Uh, you know, Mrs. Trump's speech there at the beginning of the Republican campaign, because it sure put her in the news a lot. And, you know, I had a friend of mine uh, on Facebook say, you know, it was a perfect marketing ploy. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard the concept of marketing of having people think past the sale. You know, it's kind of like when a uh, car salesman puts you in the car and starts talking about how nice it would be to take this car on vacation. So you're thinking past the sale, you know, that, that, you know, the next day, all day on, on the mainstream media, they kept playing video clips back to back and going back and forth between Michelle Obama and uh, Mrs. Trump there, which makes you compare her to the first lady, which makes you think of her as the first lady. So they had all of America watching the mainstream media on the first day of the Republican convention or the the day after the first day, thinking about her as the first lady. Because, you know, whether or not the words were really similar, it was Michelle Obama and her, Michelle Obama and her, you know, first lady, possible first lady, first lady, first lady, you know, in, in people's minds, it was brilliant. If you ask me, um, you know, hats off to anyone that if they did that on purpose, it was a brilliant stunt. So, you know, you can always give me a call here, 646-721-9887, and just press one to get in on the conversation. So last week I had a, a replay uh, on the Bo's Nose show, and it was partly because uh, I had uh, almost an all-day event with legislators from from the Oregon legislature, they are in the process of doing a road show of hearings. They've got a, a their own gang of 14 um, senators and representatives, state senators and state representatives that have been appointed to a joint transportation committee to come up with a new transportation package for the state of Oregon. And if you're from Oregon or we're around uh, in the 15th session, they and then in the short session 16, there were, there's been attempts to get some new funding for transportation in Oregon. Unfortunately, the Democrats had to, 
you know, show their, their um, you know, climate change credentials and pass a clean fuel bill, fuel bill that will do almost nothing but will actually possibly increase fuel prices by 19 cents a gallon in Oregon, which was kind of a hidden gas tax, and that killed the deal for any normal transportation bill around here. So they're trying to go back to square one and figure out something that they can pass. Because um, I'll tell you, as a county commissioner, uh, we maintain, counties actually maintain more miles of road than Oregon Department of Transportation does. Many more miles. And municipalities maintain a significant amount too, but the counties maintain a huge amount of roads. And Lane County maintains over 1,400 miles of roads. So unfortunately, our budget for roads has gone from uh, having about 30, uh, over $30,000, about $32,000 per lane mile, down to about $18,000 per lane mile in the last five years because of the, the change in federal forest funding. Um, and you know, what our share of gas taxes is being passed through from the state just isn't maintaining that $6 billion asset we have. Uh, we only have about $3 million in our capital improvement plan annually. So if you think about that, if we're trying to renew and replace $6 billion at $3 million a year, that would take us 2,000 years to renew that, to go through a cycle of renewing all that infrastructure. Um, I think it's going to fail before 2,000 years. Yeah. <laughs> So we're we're in a bit of a crisis in Lane County and, and trying to maintain our, our our road and transportation infrastructure. So the Oregon legislature has got this, you know, super committee of uh, joint committee of, of the Senate and the House, and they've been going around the state doing hearings in various places. And it was the uh, uh, Southern Willamette Valley's turn. Um, the hearing in Eugene here. Um, was basically the closest hearing to Douglas County, Lynn, Benton, uh, even up, you know, all the way up to Salem. Uh, even And it drew a lot of people. But they came down for lunch first, and they had lunch with the uh, Lane Area Commission on Lane Area Commission on Transportation, the, the Lane Act, as they call it, and various uh, elected officials. Then they went on a bus tour that was arranged by ODOT, which I got to actually uh, – take part of doing some of the windshield tours, they called it. Um, I picked up the announcing after um, Kitty Piercy was promoting passenger rail down at the, the train station in downtown um, and took everybody up to uh, Riverbend um, in Springfield by a Delta Highway in the Beltline so I could talk about um, some of the infrastructure that we're maintaining that kind of maybe ought to be ODOT infrastructure like Delta Highway. Also, we were on 6th Avenue in Eugene, which is actually a state highway uh, and being maintained by the state, even though it should probably be maintained by the city. And then we got out onto Beltline, which, uh, yeah, was almost funny. At, you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, there was already traffic backed up trying to go over the Willamette River that we could, you know, we were going in the opposite direction, but the uh, legislators could look over their shoulder and see the taillights. Um, so it was, you know, we got to talk about how that's the number one transportation priority for Lane County is to fix Beltline Highway uh, from Delta to River Road, because that is a true mess. In fact, uh, there was yesterday, it was a horror show and trying to get eastbound on Beltline. I, I ended up using Northwest Expressway to get into town along with just about everybody else. So that kind of backed up a little bit too because uh, you could you weren't going anywhere eastbound on Beltline and getting across that river. Uh, so definitely need some uh, um, transportation projects done in this area. Uh, but, you know, it was that bus tour, and then they got into a public hearing in the evening where it was come come one, come all to testify. And um, 
there was a really great showing from the folks of West Lane County. Uh, uh, they they did a really good job. The, the mayor of Benita, um, the the chief of the Confederated um, Tribes of the Coos, Lower Uncaw, and Slyuslaw um, Indians uh, was there along with um, uh, a representative of the casino. Uh, there's you know folks from Lane Fire. Uh, some citizens that came to talk about the problems with Highway 126 west of Eugene and how dangerous that highway is and how easily it gets backed up with just a single incident. Uh, and I think the legislators heard that loud and clear that that's um, kind of a regional key. In fact, uh, it's been identified by the Benita Economic Development Committee as the number one issue for economic development in Benita is getting that highway improved between Benita and Eugene because uh, there's lots of businesses that would like to come out to Benita, but they're afraid of having their transportation for their employees and for their goods and services dependent on that stretch of highway. Uh, so uh, it it was a, an interesting thing to participate in, kind of um, ended up spending from uh, noon to uh, eight o'clock at night uh, on this whole luncheon, bus tour, and hearing. Uh, so full day of transportation. And it was interesting to listen to some of the other issues that were brought up. Uh, you know, of course, you know, Mayor Piercy is all about passenger rail uh, and wanting that to continue to be subsidized at the huge, massive subsidy that goes into it as it is. Uh, and and actually be increased. The folks from LTD, Lane Transit District, uh, were there trying to promote getting more money for the bus systems. Uh, there was uh, bicycle pedestrian folks that were, you know, all about you know alternative modes of transportation. Um, I think I was the major advocate for we just need to have the money to at least maintain our existing road system and we need to get some of the major bottlenecks fixed and have some, some capital money available. But it'll be interesting to see how that rolls out because um, it looks, looks like, you know, it's going to be a, a gas tax and car registration fee and possibly even a driver's license fee increases uh, and how far they'll go and what, what they can get the folks at AAA and the Truckers Association to agree to. Um, it, we'll see where they go. They're only talking about a $300 million package over five years right now, which um, might get Lane County back up to what we were spending on roads five years ago, which wasn't enough to do anything other than do some maintenance on our existing roads, not not expand or build or fix any bottlenecks. Uh, so really interesting day. Uh, you know, got to, to talk with several of the state reps like uh, Andy Olson, who's a former um, OSP uh, officer, you know, Oregon State Patrol. So, you know, he was really tuned in to some of the safety issues that we're dealing with. Um, you know, Senator Betsy Johnson, who you just got to love. Um, she's this um, woman with these huge glasses uh, and, you know, speaks really softly. But, you know, she carries a, a huge amount of power in, in as a swing vote in the state Senate here uh, and uh, she was asking questions, you know, she was the one that brought up the subsidy for passenger rail and, and uh, was asking some tough questions about, you know, if you only have one project, what would it be? What would be your top priority? You know, we don't have enough money to do everything in this state, so tell us what your top priorities are. I, and I always like that because that's kind of my thing is you can't, you can have a, a forever list of needs and wants and you got to kind of decide what what's most important and that's always where it gets tough is what what is most important and I think there is a clear um, message to the, the delegation that what's absolutely most important for uh, Lane County is that Beltline Highway issue and they probably got the secondary message from the testimony that night that Highway 126 is pretty important too uh, so It'll be interesting to see what comes of all that. Uh, always interesting to spend a day with legislators. 
you know, they kind of have a different uh, worldview having, you know, lived in Salem. Uh, all the pomp and circumstance, they're so used to be being referred to as chair or, or uh, you know, President Courtney or uh, Senator so-and-so or representative, you know, they don't go by first names and, and uh, it's, you know, very much uh, a, a different atmosphere when you get it, when you're a member of that, that select group of 90 people that lives in that building for several months out of the year. Um, you know, so a different sort of place to be. Uh, so that kind of gets some of the state level and then we can get down to kind of some of the local level because uh, there's been a lot of news and, 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 not being here last week, I didn't get a chance to talk about the joint meeting we had a week ago uh, last Thursday with the city of Eugene to talk about city hall, courthouse, farmer's market, butterfly lots, and, and park blocks, and all sorts of things that you know might not make sense if you're listening from outside of our area. Uh, but Eugene and the county have this kind of unique opportunity being presented to us because the city of Eugene was kind of stumbling over replacing their city hall, which um, they tore down kind of before they had a full plan to re replace it. Um, they kind of tried to, to throw a land swap at us a couple years ago before we had any information on what we really needed in the way of a courthouse replacement. Well, we finally got, you know, all of our study work done on what we need in a courthouse, you know, what agencies should be either in the same building or located nearby uh, and what inter interrelationships were important. And um, we ha have a potential source of, of uh, funding assistance coming from some state bonding money. Uh, and they've delayed their project enough and the price kept jumping up on them that they're willing to now um, work with us on a task force to look at how uh, downtown Eugene, which is the Lane County seat, um, is actually going to develop as a civic center because we need to replace our courthouse. Uh, it was built in 1957, uh, back when there wasn't a whole lot of court activity going on. And now we're, we're processing, um, I think, uh, 40,000 cases a year or something like that through that court uh, system. And uh, it hasn't changed since 1957, at least the structure. Um, and you can imagine court systems have changed quite a bit. Um, you know, we didn't need to have video hookups in courtrooms in 1957. Didn't need internet access. Didn't need to have uh, electronic systems for the uh, court recorders. You know, it was all those, those you know, funky machines the court recorders used. Uh, you know, now they video and, and audio tape stuff. And a lot of court cases now are, are being mediated uh, versus uh, and arbitrated versus actually sitting down and having a jury trial. So there needs to be multiple smaller meeting rooms because if, you know parties all have to be kept separate with their you know and it's you know you shuttle the, the judge or the mediator around between the parties. So it's a different system than it was in 1957, and uh, we need a new courthouse. Uh, city needs a city hall. Uh, if we do build a new courthouse, we're going to have an empty courthouse that, once it's empty, might be able to be refurbished uh, into uh, some kind of governmental office building. Part of the problem with trying to refurbish it now to make it good for the courts is it needs to be stripped down to its skin, basically, to get the um, structural elements uh, up to uh, earthquake codes here on the West Coast. And uh, can't do that while you're operating a court system. <laughs> Just doesn't work. Got to keep courts operational. So we have to kind of build a new building, move the courts out. Then we could refurbish that building for far cheaper than it would cost to build a new building. And then we've got all that empty office space. So, and the city needs office space. So it's kind of like we need to be talking. We can work something out, you know, where, uh, you know, maybe we could still do the land swap. You know, we you know we can get our court building built. We might be able to make use of some of the empty space in our building. They can get their 
city hall built, and we may even be able to leave room for a farmer's market up against the park blocks where it makes sense um, and actually expand the downtown park blocks, uh, have the ability maybe to set the new courthouse and city hall further off of 8th Avenue, which the city desires to make into what they call a great street and connect um, downtown Eugene with the river along 8th Avenue past the federal courthouse. Um, just a lot of opportunities there, but it was kind of an interesting meeting with the city, uh, the joint meeting. Uh, they've followed up, though, and have given direction to their staff um, Monday night uh, to go ahead with this task force. I think um, the county is going to, uh, has also passed a very similar um, motion uh, yesterday. So onward and upward uh, and trying to, to come up with, you know, a practical solution that saves the taxpayers money and ends up with a vibrant and healthy downtown, you know, working collaboratively between the city and the county, the farmer's market, and uh, the downtown folks um, and the courts, we could actually do something really good because whatever decisions we make now on the courthouse, you know, the city hall, uh, and all those things, they're going to be in place for 50 to 100 years. I mean, we're in the court building now that was built in 57. And, uh, you know, I'm sure whatever new courthouse we build is going to be to seismic standards and is probably going to last well more than 50 years, have more than a 50-year lifetime. So uh, big decisions to be made in downtown Eugene. So if you want to chime in on that, you can also call me at 646-721-9887 here on the Bo's Nose Show. Uh, and just press 1, and Robin, my producer, will get you in to me, and we'll have a conversation. And if you want to just email me a question, you can email me at talk at krbnradio.net. That's krbnradio.net. And uh, you can do that anytime. You can do that between shows, and uh, we'll try and answer you. You can suggest somebody for a guest, or you can suggest a topic, ask a question. Just uh, give us an email, or just give us a call here at 646-721-9887. So besides City Hall and a couple other things, I had a nice editorial in the Register Guards this morning about our new uh, proposal from a task force that we put together um, to manage our uh, vegetation on our roadsides here in Lane County. And there's quite a history there. And I tell you, if you want to get into something controversial, uh, start talking about using um, herbicides to control vegetation along roads in Oregon. You know, I guarantee you, you'll get into an argument. Uh, either people that don't understand why we aren't using herbicides to the folks that think that we should never ever use herbicides for anything. Um, but we, uh, you know, way back in 2012, uh, a, a group of folks out in the Blatchley area, and they're mostly hay farmers and, and cattle farmers, uh, got a set of 200 petitions together uh, of citizens signing that wanted us to return back to a policy of using herbicides in Lane County, mostly because the problems with invasive species that were following our roadways and spreading along our roadways and then into their fields and impacting their ability to stay economically viable as hay and cattle farmers. And particularly, there's a weed out here called meadow knapweed. Um, you know, you can Google that. Nap spelled K-N-A-P. Uh, and it's a, you know, insidious sort of weed. It's one of those ones that's got a deep root system that, you know, even if you pull the weed by hand, it breaks off and grows up from the roots uh, and spreads by the roots and all that stuff. And it's you know, kind of a sort of looks like a thistle in a way. So it's got, you know, aerial spread, you know, you know by wind uh, seeds to a certain extent. But if you mow it, it will bloom at mower height. You know, it, it, if you cut it off, 
it will send up a new, you know, it'll send up a new flower and then it will bloom at that mower height. So the second time you mow and it's gone to seed, you're spreading it. So, you, you know, mowing it won't control it. You know, it'll actually, it does worse than what was happening with meadow knapweed is you could see where it was moving down county road right of ways as our mowers were spreading it um, and then getting into these hay fields and it's noxious to livestock and makes the hay uh, value drop and can actually make it worthless if there's a high enough content of it. And, uh, you know, agriculture is a big business for Lane County in Oregon. So 2012, these citizens get together and say, we've got a problem we want you to look at. And of course, you know, the speed of government, we managed to get um, around to uh, appointing a task force a few years later. Partly, you know, there's things that go on. You don't want to bring one topic up that conflicts with another. You know, there's timing and all that stuff. Knew it was going to be a controversial topic to deal with. Um, But we did you know, start through the process. We got them to go, you know, got these citizens to go to our roads advisory committee, have the roads advisory committee come to the board. Um, that's a roads advisory committee is a citizens committee that recommends things to the board of commissioners. They, they recommended to the board of commissioners that we do look into this policy because back in 2008, um, a previous board banned all use of herbicides in Lane, Lane County by Lane County government, parks and road system. So um, we put together a task force, and we put together a balanced task force because we knew if we didn't, we were going to get accused of loading the task force with folks that support herbicides. So this task force included um, Lisa Arkin with Beyond Toxics, who's a very anti-chemical group. Uh, It also included a representative of uh, Alternatives to Pesticides, uh, which is another uh, anti-chemical group. And it also included, um, you know, folks from with extension service background, um, somebody from the Farm Bureau, uh, one of the citizens that was involved in um, the actual original petition um, uh, movement out there. So it was really a balanced task force. They went through a process that took about a year of meetings and all that stuff. You know, they took public comment at their meetings, was available and developed a set of recommendations that we uh, then took out for a couple of public meetings. Um, But the set of recommendations was um, adopted by consensus unanimously by the task force. And that's basically getting, you know, beyond toxics to agree with the Farm Bureau and um, to allow us to return to some use of herbicides. And it's very limited under the proposed policy. Um, You know, it has to be kind of a last resort, you know, uh, noxious weed that can't be controlled by other means or some of these places where there's a really uh, safety issue uh, controlling some vegetation um, around guardrails that are are difficult to access. for manual control, uh, you know, I can think of a few in Lane County where there's guardrails that are at the top of rocky slopes that drop down into a river. Um, <laughs> you know, they're, they're just places it's easier to do some chemical control and do it very in very limited ways. And it, and it also included um, review and approval of the, of the herbicides used by our uh, public health advisory committee. So they're getting you know, and our public health advisory committee has doctors and health advocates on it. So they're getting that kind of um, review of, of what we do use and why. So it, it's a very limited rollout of going away from a complete ban, um, but it does have some consensus support from, you know, all sides of, of the political spectrum. And it's kind of a um, demonstration of what you can do if you do things carefully um, get up, you know, folks up to speed and educated, uh, have them work on it together, and they can come up with compromise and proposals, something that's kind of, you don't see very often in this country anymore, where you see a diametrically posed folks as beyond toxics and 
some of the farm advocates um, are around uh, use of chemicals and herbicides come to an agreement on a vegetation management policy that includes minimal use of herbicides and chemicals um, in certain circumstances. Uh, you know, that you know that that sort of working with the opposition and compromising just doesn't seem to be the way things are happening regularly. But this is a great demonstration of that. And uh, hopefully people will look at that process. You know, something that was highly controversial. And, and you know, if you wanted to fill a room in, in, in anywhere in Oregon, you know, have a, a meeting about herbicide use, and you'll fill that room because there's so much fear and, and apprehension around herbicides right now. And um, we managed to resolve that, which kind of gets to, you know, some of the other issues we're dealing with here that we haven't come to resolution yet, but we're working on them. And we're hopefully working a lot on them in, in the same thoughtful way, uh, one of which is our waste management system which, uh, you know, we've, we've got a problem where we have an annual deficit we're running because our fees don't quite cover, and this is a, a non-tax supported system in Lane County. It's completely supported by the fees we charge for folks to dump garbage into the system that ends up in our landfill. Um, those, you know, you know, trying to resolve that problem, we, we decided we didn't want to just raise fees on everybody uh, in a knee-jerk fashion. We asked our staff to look at, is there some efficiencies we could do to prevent having to just raise fees? You know, that, that, that's the easy answer for government. Oh, we're short on money. Oh, just raise fees. So we brought in a national consultant um, that has experience working all over the country with solid waste systems and even in Oregon, several solid waste systems, and they looked at our system and made some recommendations, uh, particularly where they thought our system was way out of the norm of other systems. And one of the places they saw was no other system in the state or, or around the country has as many transfer stations for folks to bring their trash as Lane County does that are spaced as closely together as ours are. And so, like any consultant, they looked at that and said, ah, there's an outlier there. That's a place you guys can probably make some efficiencies and save the system money is close some of those, those, those rural transfer stations. Well, that sounds great unless you're the person living in the town that used to only have to haul two miles to a transfer station that's now being told it's going to be 22 miles to the nearest transfer station. Um, you know, that, that kind of, you know, you know, that, that, that's the, you know, really gets in folks opposite of what's in it for me. It's that you're taking something away from me sort of it, uh, move. And uh, obviously got to be is, is a pretty controversial recommendation but it's just a recommendation at this point. You know, we're kind of partway into the process. You know, like the vegetation management folks, when we had the task force, they were doing a lot of learning. A lot of research was done um, into, you know, other um, vegetation management systems and possibilities. We've basically gotten that research done. Now we've published that research out to the public and we're taking comment on it right now. Um, similar to the Vegetation Management Task Force took public comment. Uh, and so we're kind of not quite as far along with that system, and it's going to be coming to the Board of Commissioners um, in a couple weeks here for us to look, start looking at and, and trying to weed through all the public comment that's been received. You know, they're out doing a public meeting tonight uh, in, uh, I think it's down in Cresswell, uh, we had one out in, in Walton. We've had one upriver, uh, and we're going to be having one down in Harris Hall. And, you know, all that public comment is going to come to the Board of Commissioners and the, the consultant's report. And, you know, a lot of questions we'll be asking staff um, all and all in the uh, trying to, you know, get to a point where we can 
you know, synthesize all this, get a set of recommendations that kind of balances all the problems. You know, we know that if we close rural transfer stations, there's a risk of dumping out in the woods in, in some of our public lands. Um, and if we raise fees, there's the same risk, too, that if we make the system cost more, folks are just going to dump illegally. So we have to balance all of that. And, you know, that's our next task is to come up with a balanced proposal. And hopefully we'll be as successful as the vegetation uh, task force was, um, but we'll go from there. You know, and then we've got another issue that just came up from the citizens. So that it's basically back in 2012 of the vegetation issue where we got a citizen group that brought a concern about the local initiative process to us. And we are just in the early stages of that, baby stages of even trying to understand what the issue is they brought to us and where we want to go with it. Do we appoint a task force? How do we handle it? So we may be years away from resolving that. So I hope folks won't, won't um, get too knotted up about the initiative process at this point, because we're not even close to uh, any decisions or moving anything forward. So um, I want to get back to transportation for a minute, because um, I got a little note here from my producer that she had a question about Beltline Highway. And uh, Robin, if you're on the line here, what was your question about Beltline? Well, I'm just curious, Jay, um, what, during your, your trip, if, if Beltline was discussed and what they thought was the reasons for the bottleneck? Um, you know, Beltline definitely was discussed on, on the bus tour. It was what my topic was to be. Uh, you know, the only unfortunate thing was in the direction we were traveling, it was wide open, and that LTD bus driver um, drove as, just about as fast as he could down Delta and Beltline. So what I was supposed to have about 20 minutes of, of windshield tour time, and I only ended up with about 10, maybe. And I got interrupted by a question from a legislator, so I didn't even get to talk in detail about Beltline. But I basically... Um, was able to lay out for them that the real issue on Beltline is, you know, it was designed back in the 60s, and it was designed on the cheap, on purpose. Uh, there was a limited amount of money that was available, so they purposely built um, interchanges that were compact and, and what they call folded diamonds and all that, so they didn't have to buy as much right away. And they also have the interchanges too close together. So their interchanges are, you know, the radiuses are too small. The, there's not merging lanes. There's all sorts of problems. And they're too close together. So one, in, one interchange actually impacts the other because the weaving movements interfere with each other. People getting on Beltline at Delta interfere with the people getting off Beltline at Division Avenue because the ramps are too close together. Uh, and the real issue there, when you look at it on paper, is that bridge across the Willamette River has about 90,000 trips per day crossing it. So, you know, in one, you know, roughly 45,000 cars cross in one direction and 45,000 cars cross in the other in a single day. If you get on the east side of Delta Highway, between Delta Highway and Coburg Road, that traffic count drops down to about 45,000 cars a day. And if you go on the other side, River Road, from River Road out towards the Northwest Expressway to the west, it actually drops down to about 35,000 trips per day. So the majority of the traffic on Beltline going over the river is local traffic traveling between Delta Highway and Division Avenue Belt at River Road. It, it's not through traffic that's using Beltline to get from I-5 to 126 or even, you know, Coburg Road down to Barger Avenue. It's the folks just going from Delta to Division and River. And it's that local traffic that's getting on and right back off that uh, there's something traffic engineers call weaving. You know, as you, as you start to change lanes a lot, that weaving will actually decrease the capacity of a roadway. And is also a, a common um, reason for accidents. 
people are looking over their shoulders about changing lanes and somebody in front of them hits the brakes. Next thing you know, bam, you know, and you got the, the standard rear end accident that happens there, right? At, in between division Avenue and the Delta and the, uh, you know, the, the ramp coming off of green acres road there, uh, and there's no shoulder to pull off to, so suddenly belt lines down to one lane, and of course the looky loos all have to see how bad the damage was. Uh, and next thing you know, it's backed up, you know, clear to I-5. You know, and that's that's the real problem is there's too much local traffic going between those. So, you know, the proposed fix is to build a parallel bridge that would take, basically would. You know, if you took that interchange at North Delta Highway and Green Acres Road there um, and and extended Green Acres Road as a as a four lane road and built a bridge across, um, you know, right up against basically wipe out Delta Sand and Gravel's offices and Mm -hmm. uh, connect that bridge with um, Beaver Avenue Division there, that that intersection there, that's would take all that local traffic um, off of Beltline and run it parallel and then, you know, do some ramp improvements and interchange improvements uh, to the Delta interchange. You actually have to go down to Good Pasture Island because the interchanges are so close together, they interact. So you have to actually fix some of the Good Pasture Island on Delta Highway's interchange. Beltline Delta's interchange, Division River Avenue interchange, and River Road and Beltline interchange um, in order to get the complete fix to the system. Well, that's an over $200 million price tag, about $260 million. Not exactly, you know, when you're talking about a $300 million five-year package, I don't think we're going to get that funded completely in one shot. So one of the things we talked about as we, uh, with the legislators was as we crossed over I-5 on Beltline was to look at that, that interchange and the improvements to that interchange. They didn't happen all at once. I, you're a fairly long-time resident here, Robin, but you probably remember that you know, the first changes that interchange started happening way back in the 90s when Sony came to town and they started changing how um, – gateway and, and um, Beltline, that traffic light were, you know, and, and they have gone on in little phase projects and some fairly big projects like the flyover, but they haven't done it all at once. You know, they've been doing it uh, a, a project here, a project there, and eventually um, that interchange is, is functioning much differently than it did or would have with all the added traffic that the the hospital and the hotels and everything else have brought into that area. So um, that's really, you know, Beltline, the, the, the real issue there is the Willamette River Bridge and, and the local traffic that uses it. Um, my suggestion to them is they might be able to do at least a short-term fix of, of taking that bridge up to six lanes and basically taking the on-ramps from River Avenue and Green Acres Road and connecting them with the off-ramps to Delta Highway and Division Avenue so people wouldn't have to weave all the way off and back on. <clears throat> and they might be able to do that in conjunction with seismic improvements to that bridge so it will withstand an earthquake. And that might be a lot lower cost than $260 million, but it would sure make a difference to rush hour traffic in that area. That's definitely one of the bottlenecks, especially eastbound, is that it's a bridge. Everybody trying to squeeze on and then uh, slowing down because people are are slowing down to exit because there isn't any real off-ramp, per se. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like, you know, you might have, you know, if you go down on I-105, if you're coming south on I-5 and you get onto I-105, that exit ramp now becomes the off-ramp to Coburg Road, you know, and past Coburg Road, there's one one less lane, but that sure made a big difference in how traffic flowed in in morning rush hour traffic coming into Eugene to have that 
the, that ramp become the exit ramp, you know, so the people that were making that movement never had to do any weaving. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> was there any mention about uh, uh, adding more roundabouts and the uh, and toll bridges or per mile tax? Um, there was some mention of per mile tax um, briefly, but it didn't sound like it had a lot of traction. You know, the current experiment in the per mile track tax isn't going very well. They couldn't get enough people to sign up hardly, and, and some of the people that signed up have dropped out uh, in their pilot study. So I don't know if that's going to be going anywhere. Um, and, you know, the roundabouts and stuff, that didn't come up specifically, but there was a couple folks um, that talked about this um, target zero. I think it's the, I'm not sure if I got that correct, but these folks that want zero deaths, roadway deaths, and that's really a hidden group that's trying to um, put in a lot of European style traffic furniture, as they call it, um, where you got all those raised crosswalks and roundabouts and, you know, center islands for pedestrians and everything else that, and, and narrowing of roadways to slow traffic down and lowering the speed limits. Basically, they, that, you know, the, it's a pro-pedestrian anti-car group that, that um, really is not very car friendly. Um, you know, the one thing I brought up when it came to traffic safety is we we have decimated our enforcement capabilities in the state of Oregon. Right. And when they talk about traffic safety, they talk about the four E's. You know, you can engineer a road to be safe. You can have good emergency response, you know, like, you know, fire and, 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 and ambulance. You can educate people about safety, but enforcement is a real big piece. In fact, it's probably the, the most effective way. And we've gone from 600 troopers in Oregon 30 years ago to 300 troopers statewide right now. Uh, and in Lane County, we've gone from, you know, having a patrol division that was big enough to have a traffic team, to, a team that did nothing but traffic enforcement. You know, we had 99 folks in our patrol division we're down to 21 patrol officers and barely hanging on to 24 hour patrol. And we, you know, we're lucky if we have three to four patrol officers for the entire county and they're basically doing almost no traffic enforcement, partly because they're moving from priority call to priority call. The state police folks that used to be here and help back us up have been moved down to Josephine County that has no rural sheriff's patrol at all. And, um, you know, you wonder why people drive like complete idiots out on our rural roadways. Uh, in fact, you know, it's because their chance of getting a speeding ticket's almost none. You know, so people, people drive too fast, they tailgate, they text while they're driving, they, they use handheld devices instead of hand-free. Um, you know, they're, they're impaired, you know, with either alcohol or drugs, uh, you know, distracted, you know, even stupid things like putting on makeup and, and eating in cars. But, you know, the majority of non-pedestrian traffic fatalities in, in Lane County, and I've looked at the statistics, were from lane departures. Right. And, and, you know, that means you either ran off the road or you crossed the center line. <laughs> you know? Well, that brings up uh, an interesting point, too, because some of the road designs, um, like for around here, roundabouts are, are really a stupid idea. And I'd like to see the stats over at Pioneer Parkway and Harlow Road area, because um, they, when they first put it up, they, they did have a camera up there, but I've never heard the stats released. But it's like if you go down Green Anchors Road, for example, and it's night and it's raining and you haven't been down that road for a long time. Next thing you know, you're hitting the brakes because somebody put a roundabout right in the middle of it. Yeah. Don't know until you get up on it. Same thing in the city. They put these little islands in there, and all of a sudden, um, so some of the designs that they that they have just really are not that smart. Same thing like with the Sixth and Seventh Street 
which used to be a very nice, smooth road. Now it's just like, was was the engineer drunk when he de- designed, made the new changes? You know, they can't do a straight line anymore. Yeah. Oh, the, gosh, that one just drives me crazy now with the new bus lanes. Yeah. On six and seven, particularly as you come out past Blair Avenue, and they suddenly just drop the left lane. You have to merge. Right. They squeeze you over to the left before that because they have they they um, you know made you know the the right lanes turn lanes to get on to, to uh, Washington Jefferson Bridge and and uh, also to um, Lincoln Street. So you're in the two left lanes to get underneath of those bridges. And then you know, so you, and then you have the the two left lanes coming off of the Jefferson Bridge entering onto Sixth Avenue, and suddenly they drop that left lane. And I have seen more near accidents there where people don't see that coming. And and uh, I don't know who designed that with 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 uh, LTD and the city trying to work out their bus rapid transit line for the West Eugene EMX, but it's just. Really poor design. <laughs> yeah, and and when I say by drunk is that, you know, you're the way they have the lines, you know, that's constantly swerving back and forth, back and forth, so just going straight. So you're trying to stay within your lane. Yeah. And watch watch traffic and all the other craziness too. It's kind of like you know, guys. <laughs> I know yeah. there's no straight lines in nature, but hey, that's why you went to engineering school. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. Yeah, it seems. It's going to be interesting to see how that stuff functions once they get construction out of the way and they're actually running the buses. But my guess is that traffic there is going to be significantly degraded by the bus service. And the bus service is not going to carry enough vehicle, enough people that are going to avoid using their vehicles to make the difference in, in the degradation, which is kind of the, the whole um, neo-traditionalist planning now that's going on that's you know trying to force people out of their cars is they're trying to create congestion they all claim that it doesn't cause congestion in, in the initial studies and when they're trying to prove the west eugene mx but they all know in the back of their mind this is kind of like the dnc you know telling bernie sanders they weren't working against them when when everywhere in the background if you really talk to those folks they were you know um the traffic engineers around here, some of the, the, the neo-traditionalist planners, the smart growthers, it's all about creating congestion to try and get you, force you to get out of your car. Yeah. It makes it so, so, so hard to be in a car that you want to take other transportation. Exactly. But you have to talk to the University of Oregon and ask them how much they make in uh, parking citations every year. The, the amount is, uh, yeah, it's breathtaking. Yeah, yeah. So uh, getting pretty close to the end of the Bose Nose show here. Um, again, uh, you can email us in between shows at talk at krbnradio.net if you have a question about anything we talked about today or you want to suggest a topic for another show. Or you can give us a quick call. We have time. We could probably work you in at 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to get in on the conversation. Um, because there's all sorts of things we can talk about. In fact, uh, yesterday we voted to move a pot tax onto the ballot for November, and we can talk about that too. Um, but, you know, we've kind of been concentrating on transportation, and really uh, it's a big issue here in the state of Oregon. And it's one that's a big issue across the country, and it's a sort of a we keep diverting money out of the state out of the transportation funding system and into other various things. You got to buy artwork when you do a transportation project. One percent of the you know spent on art. We have to you know do alternate modes of transportation and, and all sorts of crazy things rather than just building highways and maintaining highways. So hopefully maybe that'll change in the future. Um, but definitely we're going to. Uh, lose a huge investment in transportation infrastructure in this country if we don't start reinvesting in it um, soon. So uh, I hope that you enjoyed this brief Bose Nose program tonight, uh, and you'll come back and listen to us next week. Uh, 
don't know what we're going to be doing, again, you can email us at talk at krbnradio.net. Give me a topic. We'll talk about it. And uh, we'll uh, try and cover what you want to hear about. But I really appreciate you tuning in and listening to the Bose Nose Show because uh, it's another beautiful day here in Oregon. And I love talking to you all from downtown Elmira, the home of the Oregon Country Fair. Good night, and we'll see you next week on the O's Nose Show. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.